We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Amen. Well, it's good to see all of you today. Uh, If you're silently wondering, the beard was an accident. Um, I, I cut myself shaving about a week ago, and I have not been able to shave this part of my face since, so I now have a beard. Um, so I'm still not sure what to think of it. Um, so if you're not sure what to think of it, that's cool. I'm not either. But it's good to see all of you this morning. Uh, we're going to be back in Genesis chapter 1 today. Uh, and this is our last week in Genesis 1, so we'll be in the Genesis 2 next week, and we'll spend just a few weeks there. And then we're going to take a break from Genesis and look at the Lord's Prayer and do a series on prayer and what it means to pray, how we should pray, and uh, take a look at what the Lord Jesus has to say about that. And then we'll be back to looking at the fall uh, in Genesis 3. So uh, that's where we're headed. Um, This is part uh, three of a a mini-series within our mini-series on the image of God. And so we've been talking about the image of God for a few weeks now. And the reason we've been talking about it for a few weeks is that the image of God has so much impact on our lives today. It is so important for how we understand who we are and what we're made to do. So that's why we're pausing and and kind of diving in a little bit deeper here and trying to understand what it is that Moses is saying to us about the image of God and how we should live our lives in light of that. And so last week we began to talk about a couple of difficult issues when we you know, talked about how men and women are created equal in God's image with value, dignity, worth, and status before God. And then they're also created to be different and complementary to one another in terms of their roles and the way that we function in relationships. And so we looked at the beauty of God's design there last week, and then we started to look at how this understanding of what it means to be men and women impacts how we understand some of the things that are going on in our culture and our relationships today. And so today we're going to continue to look at that uh, by looking at a couple of very difficult issues. And so I just want to kind of lay that out before you from the get-go, that today we're going to talk about how the image of God impacts our understanding of things like homosexuality and same-sex attraction, as well as gender identity and confusion, and how the Lord can give us some understanding that brings clarity into how we understand who we are and what we should do, as well as how we treat other people. And so... I hope you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 today. Um, I do want to always, whenever we're talking about difficult issues like this, since we can't possibly get to everything that we would want to in one message, and you'll have questions and things that you want to know more about, I just want to recommend a couple of resources to you. There will be some books up here at the front that you can look at but not take, because I'll find you if you do, like I said last week. Um, But if you want to take a look at some resources that can answer some questions and kind of dive deeper for you, those will be up here at the front. Uh, Two that I want to draw your attention to just real quick. Uh, The first one is called Gay Girl, Good God. This is by Jackie Hill Perry. And if you have not heard uh, anything by Jackie Hill Perry, read anything that she's written, uh, I would just heartily recommend this to you. This is her story of walking through uh, same-sex attraction since she was a little girl and, and wrestling with that. And, and she is married to a man named Preston today with two beautiful children, and she is a Christian poet, author, uh, and rap artist. And so I hope you'll take a look at her story because it's an incredible. It's an incredible story of great 
grace, truth, and, uh, and compassion. So the other one is on our other issue for today. It's called When Harry Became Sally by Ryan Anderson. And so last week we talked about God and the transgender debate as a recommended resource uh, to kind of understand what the Bible has to say about identity. And then this is kind of from a, a biological, scientific, and philosophical uh, perspective. So if you want to understand what's happening with the body on a more philosophical or biological level, this is a great resource to look at and just another perspective that kind of complements what we're talking about. So I hope you'll take a look at those two resources today. So have, have you ever felt stuck? Uh, Brittany and I went out to the, the outlet mall this weekend, and we were just walking around, and, and I saw this, this pair of shoes that I, you know, I, I really kind of wanted. You know, Cameron's kind of gotten me hooked on, on shoes, and so I saw this pair of shoes that I thought, you know, Cameron would really like those shoes, and I really like those shoes. Maybe, maybe this is a good idea. And so I tried them on, and, and they didn't have my size. And so I tried on the one that was a size bigger, and it just didn't quite fit. You know, my fit was loose, and it just didn't fit right. And, and then I tried the one that was smaller. And, and, and you know what happens when you get your, shoe, your foot into a shoe that's smaller than your foot is, right? It gets stuck, and, and it's hard to get off, right? And so I'm sitting there, and I've got my foot in this shoe that's too small for me, and it doesn't fit right, and I feel stuck, and I can't, I can't get my foot out, and it takes some effort to get it out, and it just doesn't feel right. And you see, in life, we often feel stuck, too, don't we? We feel stuck in relationships, and maybe a difficult marriage relationship that you're in, or maybe it's a friendship, or, or a relationship with a coworker. Sometimes we feel stuck in our relationships, and we don't see uh, how things are going to move forward in a way that's joyous and life-giving. Maybe we feel stuck in a career or a job that, you know, just doesn't feel like us. We don't, we don't really want to continue doing this, but we've been doing it for so long that we can't really see a way out, and, and we're just kind of stuck, and we feel the weight of that. And, and there's all sorts of ways in which we feel stuck in life. Sometimes it's the season of life where we think about if we're, if we're single, we'll, we feel stuck and we just want the next season where we're married. Or if we're married, you know, we feel stuck and we just want the next season where we have kids. Or if we have kids or a job, you know, we feel kind of stuck and we just want, you know, the next season of life where we have retirement and get to enjoy some different things in life too. And so we feel stuck in a lot of different ways in different areas of life. And there's some of us who feel stuck in some more significant ways. Some of us feel stuck in terms of deeper things like our desires, our attractions, or our very identity. You see, when we talk about things like same-sex attraction and transgender identity issues and things, we're, we're not talking about political issues. We're talking about people. We're talking about people who are made in God's image, who are hurting and struggling with different things that, that you and I, maybe we don't have the same struggle, but they're walking through something difficult, and oftentimes it feels like you're just stuck. You know, I mentioned Jackie Hill Perry and how she just from a, a very young age wrestled with these uh, attractions that she didn't understand and didn't know what to do with, and, and she felt stuck. And there's other Christian authors who, who tell the same sort of story, like Rosaria Butterfield, who was once a, a tenured English and women's studies professor at the University of Syracuse. And, and her story is incredible, and I hope you'll take time to seek it out and read it. 
Um, because she, she, she talks about how she walked through some of these things. And then finally there was this conversation that she was able to have in which she was trying to really disprove some of the things that the Bible said about these topics and kind of work against it. And she sat down with a pastor and his wife and they treated her like a human being. And they had a conversation with her out of love and respect for one another. And they talked about these things. And they kind of wrestled through some things as they talked about what God's word has to say to us regarding these matters. And, and she found a new freedom that she hadn't found before. And we think about a, a woman named Melinda who, who her struggle and the way that she felt stuck is just in her own body. See, M- Melinda's cross to bear was a, a cross that I cannot even imagine having to bear, where she firmly believes that she's a woman, that, that what her body is telling her is true, but she has these feelings that she wrestles with constantly that tell her that that's a lie. And so the cross she bears as she walks the Christian life pursuing the Lord and pursuing her identity in Christ all the while while she's having feelings that are telling her that it's not true, that something else is true about her, that that her feelings are what is actually true about her and that her body is lying. And that's the cross that she bears and she feels stuck sometimes. So friends, sometimes we walk through some really difficult things in life and we feel stuck and, and the hope of the gospel is that there's freedom to be found in Christ, and there's lasting joy and happiness to be found in him, and there is a rock-solid foundation for our identity and understanding who we are and who God's made us to be that can only be found in him. So this is why we look at the image of God. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Here's what we read. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so we've been talking about how what we've seen in Genesis 1, looking at the image of God, is that God has created us in his image and likeness, which means that we have this inherent value, dignity, and worth, and that we're also made as, as, as though we're equal and the same in some sense, but also distinct and complementary. And so God has made men and women equal before him, but also different in some important ways that are meant to complement one another as we reflect who God is to the world around us. Because that's what it means to image, right? Is to reflect something, is to demonstrate something. And so we've talked about how in the ancient Near East, this idea of an image would have, talked, would have uh, made us think about uh, these statues or these representative rulers that would have been placed by a king in a certain area to represent that king's rule and reign over that area. And so what we are as the image of God is we are his image bearers responsible to uh, establish his rule and reign on the earth and to demonstrate who he is to the world around us. 
And so he's told us to fill the earth with his image, right? We fill the earth so that the rule and reign of God fills the earth and so that there is representatives representing who God is, who the creator is to the creation. And this is what it means to be in his likeness and his image. And we saw the, over the last couple of weeks that Moses specifically tells us when he's talking about the image of God, it says, in the image of God, he created him. So he's, he's talking about the human race here. He's not just talking about men. He's talking about humanity, right? And, so, uh, and then he specifically says, male and female, he created them. So Moses wants us to know that both men and women, our, our gender, our sexuality, our identity as men and women, is something that is intended by God for our good. And so Moses specifically lays this out for us, and we would be remiss to just fly by it and miss that he specifically points that out. Because the fact that he specifically points out that male and female, he created them in his own image, this shows us that these differences, these things about men and women and who they are, they're intentional and that they matter. And that they should drive us to a certain understanding of ourselves and what God has given us to do in the world. And this impacts how we view our sexuality and our identity. And so last week, we looked at a couple of things uh, uh, with this idea in verse 28 of uh, be fruitful and multiply. We saw that God has created men and women to be fruitful and multiply. This is part of our purpose. This is part of our identity that drives our purpose is that this is what God has made us for. And so we saw that this was God's first words to humanity, right? It's also his first blessing to humanity and his first command to humanity. This is very significant. It's the first words that God speaks to human beings in the Bible. And it's the first blessing he actually speaks on humanity, and it's the first command he gives to humanity. So we have to understand what these words mean and how they impact our lives because they're the first words of God to us. And so we looked last week at how this means that uh, for us, that sex is good, it's part of God's design, that sex is purposeful, that it's part of his calling on humanity to fill the earth. And then uh, what we have to see today is that uh, this human sexuality is also limited by God. It's, it's part of God's care for human flourishing. It's how he has structured things. It's how he's made us to work, and it's for our good. At the end of the creation account in Genesis 1, here's what we read. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So who God has made you to be as a man or woman created by the creator is very good. It's part of his very good creation. See, we look at the way that God has made a Genesis 1 world so that we can understand how we ought to interact with and relate to a Genesis 3 world where sin is present and things are broken and things are hard. And so we look at our identity in Christ and who we are made to be by the creator God. And we see that he has limited this expression of human sexuality to the covenant of marriage, to the relationship underneath God between one man and one woman. And see, this would have been very controversial in their day, right? So they lived in a polygamous culture where, you know, there was multiple expressions of sexuality. There were multiple uh, ways that could play out. And, and, and in that culture, it would have been so controversial to read this, that, that it's meant to be expressed in this covenant between a man and a woman. 
There would have been all sorts of expressions of sexuality in the ancient world. And this would have been very controversial then, just like it is today. You see, God's words to us about who we are and what we're made for have always been controversial. It's not a new thing. This isn't a new thing for our day and age. This would have been controversial back in Moses' day, too, and Moses knows that. And he specifically points things out about who God has made us to be because he knows that that's what's most important about us, is what God says about us. Because it's something we can bank on and rely on, more than our own feelings, more than our own desires, more than anything that anyone else tells us. We can trust God's words more than we can trust anyone else's or ourselves. And God isn't holding something back from us and telling us this. He's trying to give us what is best. So it's, it's, not like, it's not like a parent just trying to keep candy away from their kid forever. See, what, what God is doing is, in laying out his design for us through Moses as he writes Genesis 1, is he is pointing us towards things that will actually sustain us and, and bring us joy and lasting satisfaction instead of temporary happiness that, that fades. He's not trying to keep you from candy. He's trying to give you something that actually nourishes your soul and who you are and builds you up so that you can enjoy candy in its proper context. See, God doesn't want to keep joy from you. He wants to give you joy in its fullest measure. And sometimes that means him saying things to us that we don't want to hear. Because we realize some things about us that are out of line with what God is saying about us, and that's difficult to wrestle through. But God's words bring a kind of freedom and joy and lasting satisfaction that we can find nowhere else. And so we have to start here. And so when we think about the issue of same-sex attraction or homosexuality, we have to think about it through the lens of the image of God and who we're made to be as men and women, that, that God has called us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with his image to reflect who he is. You see, the, the first issue with this that we have to think about is that it's not possible to obey the first command of God in a same-sex relationship. I don't say that lightly because I know this is something that there are many of us that, that walk through and wrestle with this and it's hard and, and sometimes people say unkind things to us when we're wrestling with something and they say things that aren't helpful. So maybe you've heard someone say, God didn't create Adam and Steve, he created Adam and Eve. And I would just encourage you to never ever use that language because it's unhelpful and it's not going to get you anywhere. Christians, we can find ways to speak the truth in a loving, compassionate, understanding way that isn't trite, that doesn't disregard someone's experience or their difficulty or what they've walked through in life. In a minute, we're going to look at how Jesus responds to hurting people and how it should change how we respond. But the first thing that we have to see is that only in the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman can this first command and blessing of God be experienced. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with God's image. The second thing that we see in, in Romans chapter 1 is that, um, and I want to point something out just real briefly here. Romans chapter 1, so if you have a minute to turn there, some of it should be on the screen as well. 
Romans chapter 1, I want to point out something to you at the end of the passage before we look at what you probably think this passage is about. So at the end of the passage, here's what we read. Starting in verse 28, it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Friends, did you see that nowhere in that last description at the end of Romans 1 is homosexuality mentioned? but that everything that you and I struggle with is. Friends, Romans 1 is not a chapter about homosexuality. Romans 1 is a chapter about worship. See, friends, all of our problem in life is that we have begun to love things that look more like us than that look like God. See, this is what Paul says. He says that... Claiming to be wise in verse 22, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling what? Mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is what the Bible calls idolatry, where we find ourselves loving and desiring something more than God or in place of God or instead of God. See, friends, this is the problem that we all struggle with in life. This is, this is not a chapter about homosexuality, though homosexuality is listed out here in the coming words as an illustration of the problem that you and I struggle with, which is worship. See, the God who made us in his image has called us to reflect who he is and live our lives in connection and relationship with him. And the reason Paul uses this particular sin in Romans 1 as an illustration is he's trying to point something out about what humanity has done. We have all exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images that resemble us. We've begun to love people and things and and things instead of or in place of or more than God that look like us. Because, friends, we love no one and nothing more than ourselves. And this is all of our struggle. And so this is the place that we have to start as we consider walking with those who are family members and friends who experience these things. We have to start by understanding that this is not something unique and something different and something that we shouldn't be able to, to walk through with them and understand in a compassionate way. See, friends, before you can understand the sin or the struggle that someone else has, you need to see your own. This is what Jesus talked about, right? When he said, you know, before you start looking at the speck in your brother's eye, you need to see the log that's in your own and remove it. And so before we start talking with someone who is struggling with same-sex attraction about their worship problem, we need to talk about our own. And we need to turn from worshiping and loving the things that God has said are not his ways and turn towards him to honor and worship him with our lives and our hearts. And then we can begin to have a conversation about how God's design is good and meant for your good and your flourishing. Because, friends, our biggest problem is not recognizing sin. 
It's never been the problem in the Christian church. I mean, it, it is a problem sometimes. There are ways in which we abandon the truths of God's words, and we need to come back to that and see that clearly. But, friends, uh, 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 particularly in Southern Baptist context, often our problem is, is not so much that as it is not seeing people as made in God's image and not seeing ourselves as sinners in need of grace. See, these are our biggest problems. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about these issues again. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And friends, how sad is it that so often when we read that passage, the only word we notice is homosexuality. And we miss where we're at in that. Idolaters, sexually immoral. So men, have you ever looked on anyone with lustful intent that was not your spouse? Thieves, have have you ever stolen anything, even if it was something small when you were young? Friends, Paul isn't pointing out one specific sin. He's pointing out sin. He's pointing out us. And here's the beauty of what he says next. So he points out, listen, all of these things that we all struggle with in different ways, different times, different amounts, he says they keep us from God's kingdom. But then he says this, and this is where the hope is, and such were some of you, past tense, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, friends, we need to see people as image bearers to see their value and dignity before God. And then we need to see ourselves as sinners. And then we need to understand that the hope for them is the same hope that we have. That Christ brings forgiveness, that Christ brings transformation, that Christ brings healing and wholeness, and that we can find lasting freedom and joy in him because of the work that he's done. Not because of anything that we do, not because of anything we bring to the table or how good we are. That's what we're pointing out, right? That Paul says, you know, we've all failed, we've all missed the mark. And so this is where we have to start our conversations. And In John chapter 8, this is how we see Jesus interact with those who have sinned against God. It's this beautiful chapter, and and you'll notice just just quickly, there's this note that says that uh, chapter 7, verse 53 through 8.11 isn't in the earliest manuscripts. What that means is that the oldest manuscripts uh, didn't have this section in it, but uh, this section of the Bible is present in so many manuscripts that are early enough to where they believe it to be a reliable account of something that Jesus actually didn't send. And so while it may not have been in the earliest manuscript, it has been in so many and so many that were from so early that it's a reliable account and consistent with what Jesus says and does elsewhere. And so we can look to it for an incredible example of how Jesus interacts with hurting people. It says, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. 
Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might bring some charge against him. And Jesus bowed down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And we don't know what he wrote. So we'll talk about that another day. And then they continued to ask him, and he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Because, friends, older ones, those who have lived life longer, know how steeped in sin and how much struggle we have. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So there's there's three really important things to see here. Jesus sees this woman caught in the act of adultery, caught in the act. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, they, they didn't hear about this. They caught her doing this, cheating on her husband. And he sees her as a human being made in God's image and treats her as such with grace and compassion and understanding. And then Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, the religious people, for what? For not recognizing their own sin as they're interacting with this hurting, sinful, broken woman. And then we finally see that Jesus extends grace to her while confronting her sin. Did you see that at the end? Neither do I condemn you, so go. He's he's giving her forgiveness. And then he says, and from now on, sin no more. Friends, this ought to be the model that we have as we interact with hurting people who are wrestling with various issues, whether it be same-sex attraction, gender confusion, or, or something else in life, anger, anxiety, whatever it might be that we struggle with. This is how we ought to approach other people, with grace and understanding, seeing them as God's image bearers, created by the creator of the universe to reflect something of who he is. And then we ought to approach them in that kind of understanding. And as we confront, we extend grace. We speak the truth in love, as Paul says, right? This is how we ought to interact in our relationships with hurting people around us. And then we see identity. So this is the other aspect that we have to consider when we talk about the image of God, is that God created men and women to be male and female. So back in Genesis 1, 27, we read, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then when we get to the New Testament, here's what Jesus says. So Jesus is remembering back to Genesis 1 and 2, and he speaks this. He says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. He's quoting the scriptures from Genesis. So, so Jesus sees this as, as the basis for understanding who we are as men and women, that God has made us to be male and female, that he is involved in that process, that it's not an accident that you're a man or a woman, and it's not something up for debate. It's something that God had his own hand in that was intentional and for your good. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, we read in verse 31, right? Right? And then in Psalm 139, we read this in verses 13 and 14. For you, talking about God, formed my inward parts. 
You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. See, friends, that's not just a text about to fight against abortion. Psalm 139 is about God's hand in knitting us together before we ever set foot on the earth. That God is involved in that process. That God himself cares about that. That God himself is intentional about that. That who you are is not an accident. But that you were made by the creator God who had his own hand involved in knitting you together and making you who you are. And so we think even about our, our own chromosomes, our, our DNA, and how, how these things come to play, right? And the uh, XX chromosomes and XY chromosomes, that they are present at the moment of fertilization or conception, just like life itself is. Just like life begins at conception, so does gender and sexuality. Who we are made to be as male and female is something that begins at the very start, and that God himself has had his hand in, and that he cares about, and that it's good for us. And there's all sorts of ways that we could talk about, you know, outliers and, and abnormalities. And, and the reality is, is that even, even with those abnormalities, with what we would call intersex, there's, there, those sorts of situations are one in 5,000. And the, the thing about them is that they're abnormal, right? They're not the norm. There's something that has gone wrong with the way things are made to be. And it's part of the fall. It's because we live in a world that's broken. We experience pain and physical difficulties. But the God who has made us and created us still is involved in those moments and still cares and still is working, even in the midst of a broken world, to knit us together and make us in his image. See, these things begin at the very beginning of us. And so we, we have to understand hurting people. And so when we think about some of the terms that are used, a lot of times we just don't understand them. And so I just wanted to kind of lay out a, a few quick definitions for you guys so that you can understand what people are talking about when they talk about gender. So the first is that we need to understand what gender dysphoria is. This is the big term. It's an experience of significant emotional distress or confusion due to the feeling or perception that one's gender identity does not match one's physical or biological sex. So what's going on on the inside of me doesn't match what's happening on the outside of me. This is the idea. There's a confusion. There's a disconnect here. And the, the, maybe a way that we can understand this is just think about, you know, if, if you really went all out one Halloween and you, you know, kind of decked out with this costume and like, you know, it was one of those that was so good that the whole night you're uncomfortable. You know what I'm talking about? Like you painted your face and like, you know, the costume didn't really fit because maybe you gained a couple of pounds right before Halloween and, and you'd bought it a couple of months earlier, but it was too good to pass up. And so, you know, you still did it and you went all out and it was great. But the whole night you just can't wait to get it off. The whole night you're uncomfortable. You're like this is a killer costume, but this is not me and I'm ready to get this thing off. Can you imagine feeling stuck in that kind of state? your whole life, where you feel like you're wearing something that isn't you, where who you are on the inside, who you feel yourself to be, 
doesn't match what's happening on the outside. And every time that you do something as simple as, as use a restroom, you feel intense emotional pain and distress. And you know that when you're out in public, people don't understand who you are and, and, and you're dealing with what are they thinking about me and, and this is the experience of someone with gender dysphoria. This is what they're walking through. They don't feel at home in their own skin. And so friends, we have to start by understanding this. Just like Jesus enters into that woman's pain and is present with her and seeks to understand and is gracious and compassionate as he interacts with her, we have to understand these sorts of things are real and difficult and a lot of people are wrestling with them. An increasing amount in a culture that promotes the ideology that says that that's true. See, and then we have to understand what transgender means. This is an umbrella term that refers to identifying or expressing a gender identity that doesn't match one's physical or genetic makeup. And then there's that term that we mentioned, intersex, which is a totally different thing. It's an empirically observable medical diagnosis that refers to physical ambiguities about one's sex and gender and, and that can be treated in a variety of ways medically. And so these two things are totally different. And there are transgender individuals who identify as transgender who would be severely upset that you use the word intersex interchangeably with their experience because they're different. Not all of them. Some activists would, would say these are the same in a lot of ways. But there are many hurting people who would say these are not the same because one is a physical reality of something that's gone wrong with someone's body. And one is a psychological reality where someone doesn't feel at home in their body. Does that make sense? These things are, these things are, are worlds apart. They're totally different issues. And oftentimes they're lumped together to promote a certain ideology. And it's unhelpful because a lot of times we don't understand what they mean by the term. See, Ryan Anderson says this. He says, these children, talking about those who are experiencing these physical medical diagnoses, don't, do not constitute a third sex. They are either male or female, but with a disorder in their development. The sound medical response is to identify the predominant underlying sex and then take measures to provide health and functioning as far as is possible through hormones and possibly even surgery. So there's a, there's a medical issue over here that needs to be dealt with. And over here, there's a feeling, there is a belief system, there is something entirely internal that needs to be dealt with. The problem is, who's the real me? Is it what I feel inside or is it what's happening on the outside? And this is, this is ancient Gnosticism dressed up in contemporary language. So if you remember, you know, maybe you've heard somebody talk about this idea that, you know, the, the physical is inferior to the spiritual or the, or the non-physical, the non-material. That, that this is what's real, this is what we need to pursue, and we need to get away from this material aspect of us so that we can know who we really are, so we can pursue what's really good. But friends, the Bible attests throughout that God has made us as whole persons, Immaterial, material, spiritual, physical. This is what it means to be made in God's image. It's, it's not just a spiritual reality. It's a physical reality as well. 
that God has made us in his, his image and that we matter both inside and out. See, there's, there's a pathology for this over here. This is a medical diagnosis. There's no medical evidence for this over here. It's internal. It's something, it's, it's a, a belief and a feeling, and, and that's how it needs to be interacted with. And, and the way Jesus interacts with this, the way, the way he offers hope, is, is, is he doesn't break a bruised reed. So someone who is walking through this kind of pain and confusion, he doesn't say things like, you're weird, you're a freak. He enters in in compassion, and he understands, and he helps them to see God's good design for them. That's from the beginning. And, and the way that the gospel meets us in these places is I think beautifully described by Jesus in Matthew 16. Here's what he says. This is where we find hope for the hurting. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, Jesus is telling us that Though our own hearts that deceive us, though our world that tries to as well tells us that life can be found in pursuing your desires, pursuing your feelings, that where life and joy and satisfaction that lasts is actually found is in denying myself and following after him. Those who lose their life for his sake will find it. And so, friend, if you're here hurting today and you're struggling with something, whether it be one of these issues or another, I hope that's what you hear me say today, is that there's life and joy and satisfaction in Jesus, and he understands your pain. And he wants you to deny yourself and find your life in him. So I hope you'll do that today. And if you have questions about that, we would love to talk with you. Let's pray. Lord, we need your grace. We need your spirit to give us understanding, to help us to see clearly. God, we need you to enter into our brokenness and our struggles and help us to see who we are as your image bearers, to see the, the ways in which we have pursued things that have led us astray from you. But God, to see the hope that comes from knowing you and following after your son, Jesus. So Lord, would you help us today to see you clearly and live in light of who you are as your image. In Jesus' name.